Welcome to This is for the CV, Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit. This is a podcast by two professors who have funny, at least we think so, deep and disagreeing conversations about politics, education, and pop culture. We have different worldviews, different backgrounds, and different beliefs on how great a film The Joker is. This week, we talk all things going to college and share our own experience about deciding to go, applying, paying for college, getting through, and what to do next when facing graduation. We don't even mention COVID-19 once. Promise. Hello. Hey, Rebecca. Happy graduation, everybody. Yay. Woo. Woo It's May. We have been thinking and talking about doing uh, a couple episodes just in to respect graduation and, and the fact that people are, are transitioning, making very big decisions in, in their lives. And it got us thinking about the very big decisions we made in our lives. Yep. How many ever years ago. So we're going to do an undergrad <laughs> edition today and we're going to do a graduate edition next week. Next week. Yeah, this was your great idea. I love it. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Who doesn't like talking stories? Because, you know, they think they, they look at us, they look around the office and they're like, oh, you guys just had success upon success upon success. You Right. You just made you it. You had no pushback ever. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Like, and those are lies. Those are, that is not the truth. So we're here to tell Very the correct. truth right now. Absolutely. Well, and hopefully dispel the myth that if you don't do it one traditional way, you can't do it and that it'll take too long. And if it takes a really long time, that it's not worth it. Right. Right. Because we all have that timeline in our head that is really only in our head. Exactly. They don't print how long it took you to get the degree. They sure don't. They don't don't care about that. It doesn't matter. It's like you just have it. You have the paper or you don't. You have it or you don't. Or how long. Oh, you, you, it took you. it took you 13 years to finish undergrad, Anthony. So? <laughs> so, so what? You're a professor it now. It doesn't make a bit of difference. Doesn't matter. Exactly. Um, but you're really good about telling your students that and being honest with them about that. You don't pretend to be something different. So I think that's good. Being a struggling student has helped me in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, try to understand the plight. Because I do understand the plight of, of the students. Yeah. I mean, I get it. I do. So, Rebecca, let me just ask. Okay. I want to start with, like, before even going, like, how did you know Mm. as a teenager going through high school, even middle school, like, how did you know that college was something you were going to do? So, I absolutely did not. Let's see. I went to community college when I was in high school in Florida, and that was my first experience being on a college campus. And the only reason I really did it is because my friends were doing it. And I was in a tiny one-room school that was a religious school, and I broke up with my boyfriend. And we had to sit in the same room while all the younger kids were like, why'd you break up with him? He loves you. Did uh, <laughs> did you say a tiny one-room school or a one-room class? Um, uh, school. Oh, I'm sorry. There were two rooms for the school. There were the younger kids in one room and the older kids in another room. Everybody was in mm-hmm. one room. My quote-unquote graduating class, had I graduated from there, I think would have been three or four. Nah, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it was different. Whoa. Um, and we did like this pace curriculum where my health book was like, don't do any heavy petting because it hurts Jesus's heart. Oh, that was sex ed? That was sex ed, yeah. Oh, all right, nice, okay. So different, just a little bit different. Um, So... In order to get out of that my and to spend time with my friends, two of my friends were taking classes at the community college, and I was like, I want to do that. Mm-hmm. And it was really just because I got to get out of that one-room school that I felt stifled in and awkward in because my ex-boyfriend was sitting there right, like, right next to me, and I had to spend all my time with him. I just went with them. So we would drive 45 minutes one way and sometimes an hour to go to our different classes and we'd spend the day there a couple times a week. And I, and I loved it. I had no idea what I was doing. I took an English uh, class. The first paper I got back, I got a 70 on and I was like, Oh, I don't make C's. What? (laughs) But I sure did actually. Right. Right. So that really helped me. I wasn't thinking about college. I didn't really know anything about it. My dad went to school, but he didn't finish and no one else in my family ever went to school. 
Um, so I, I really didn't have any sort of context. And the school itself, my parents were very supportive of me going to school always. Right. Um, the school itself never talked about college, ever. Because it was room, like... There was no talk of college coming from the room. Absolutely not. And so it just wasn't what you were prepared to do. It's not what people did in that area. They mm -hmm. found ways to serve the church, and that was about it. And so it was very insular. And I don't think they, like, meant harm. They just thought that that was the better way to live. You didn't need it to go into ministry. So when I moved to El Paso my senior year of high school, I'd already had a college experience, gratefully because I was going to the community college. And I graduated with a 4.0. Didn't realize that that meant I could get into lots of different schools. Mm -hmm. And... I said I wanted to maybe go to ASU, which now I'm like, what? <laughs> Arizona State University. But that's because um, I had a friend from Florida drive through El Paso, and I went on a trip with him and his buddy to Arizona where he met with his friends, and they were all at ASU. And so I was What's like, oh, this Arizona State? Ab great absolutely school. nothing. It's a nothing. great comm program at ASU. Great communication Absolutely program. nothing, but it is known as a party school, and that's just funny. because yeah, I you know, that's just college. I would have drowned. That is true. That is 100% true. <laughs> but that was the only other, like, four-year campus I'd ever been to. So I was like, oh, I'll go there. And that was my only point of reference. And so when I went to my high school counselor and said, oh, I think maybe ASU, he said to a person with a 4.0, well... What you should probably do is go to a community college for two years and then transfer in because then you'll get in. Oh, wow. So I was like, oh, okay. Oh, but okay. I ended up going to UTEP, UT El Paso. It was the only school I applied to, and it was because they handed out applications at like a senior thing in the gym. Mm. And I wanted to stay locally because I wanted to stay near my sister, my younger sister, and make sure that, you know, she was okay and supported. And so I just kind of fell into it. No idea what I was doing whatsoever. Oh, wow. But I okay. went straight out of high school. So that yeah. I think that was all. I, I kind of landed pretty well, considering I had no clue what I was doing. Yeah. But my family was very supportive. They were like, yeah, go to college. Of course. Mm -hmm. There wasn't any pushback or resistance there whatsoever. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, I mean, my parents... My parents, uh, they were both Marines. My dad right. was in the Marine Corps for like 31 years and had retired and had his own auto shop. My mom worked for the county. But I saw them, you know, taking a class or two at the community college, you know, uh, trying to trying to work on that associates. Mm -hmm. it, it, it never finished, but they, they were always education-minded and they were always pushing me and my brother to do it. My brother's the smartest guy I know. He got a full, he's eight years older than me. He got a full ride ROTC to Baylor from California. Nice. And he he left in like 91, never came back to California again. Is that what brought you to Waco originally? Not originally, but my parent, my mom's from Waco. Oh. My mom's actually she's from Elmont. So my okay. mom's from Elmont and my dad is from Beaumont. And so oh. we had family all over Waco anyway. And so my brother... Gotcha. When he was looking at places he could go, he went there. And so I'm watching my brother do this. And at the time, like anybody else, like I thought, you know, my path is athletics. Like I'm going to run my way, jump my way up out the hood. And, uh, you know, my brother, he he had athletic prowess, but he he, he had that brain. Like, and, and my parents were always telling me, you need to be more like your brother in the classroom. You need to be more like your brother in the classroom because I was bored. I didn't care about class like that. It wasn't a thing for me to do. I was like, man, I'm about to make it on this field. You know, like that's how I'm going to do the thing. And so my brother ended up dropping out of school uh, probably like 94, 95. And when that happened, I just remember thinking like, okay, the smartest person I know that got the full ride to Baylor just dropped out and he way smarter than me. How the heck am I going to finish? Oh, wow. I better start running faster wow. and jumping higher yeah. and getting back to the to the grind because this this education thing it ain't me mm -hmm. it just ain't me but i knew i had to go right so i knew my parents weren't gonna be okay with me just going to work after school and so you know i applied to some different schools you know the athletic thing didn't work out like it doesn't work out for a lot of people mm. but you know i applied to what sports were you playing i played football i ran track okay 
play ball and I ran track. And, uh, you know, when it came time to choose a, when it came time to choose a college, I picked one that was close to home that my parents wouldn't have to pay a whole bunch of money at mm. because I didn't want, I knew I was going to drop out anyway. I just knew, I just, I didn't know when, but I knew I would. And I didn't want them to have to put up a bunch of money to just watch me falter. Mm. And so I went, I went to Cal State San Marcos in, in, in California, but I only made it maybe three semesters before I transferred to the junior college to go play ball. Cause I was like, I got to go see like, this whole school thing is fine, but I got to go see if I can play college ball or not. So I went to a very good junior college, like one of the best community colleges in the country for football. And I went and I played and I was good and things happened and, and it was looking like scholarship time, but life got in the way, like life gets in the way. And so I was just in the wilderness for years, mm. like from, I don't know, like. So the transfer scholarship didn't ever happen. I never transferred. I had verbally committed to San Diego State, but it never happened because my car broke down Ugh. in between my first season and my second season. So I never finished out my first, my spring semester classes. And so I didn't have the grades to come back in the fall to ball. And oh, so it I, all just fell apart. I didn't know that. Yeah, I don't tell that story all that. I mean, I don't, because I don't dwell, but that that's what happened. Wow. And um, like, so those things, those things went down, but you know, from maybe 2003 to 2009 I was just working no school nowhere no nothing no 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 thoughts on how to get back to school what kind of jobs what did I do so the really good job I had in California I worked for a company called Guidant that has been bought out now by Abbott Laboratories but we made catheters and stents and so I was on like a I was on like a line and 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 you know, it's like 12 hour days. You work four in the morning to four in the, at night and yeah. you work three days a week. And then the next week you work four days a week. So I did that in California. When I moved to Texas, I worked at Coke for a minute. Ooh. And then I worked at a horrible place called EMSI for like four years. And then after that, I got a youth minister gig at the church I was attending and am still attending. Hmm. This makes me realize one day we also need to do an episode on the crappy jobs we've had. Oh, crap job pod. I'm with that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I yeah. got tons. We got, I got stories. I know you got stories. Oh, my gosh. The terrible bosses of, the, of life. They probably still where they at, too. If karma has anything to do with it. <laughs> Man, you know, yeah. the, 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 the level of people that fail up in this world, I, I tell Oof. you. Mm-hmm. Like, man, the, the worse the job, the more incompetent the management. I know. Oh, I know it. I know it. Uh, okay, so you're you made it, you make it to this through some varied types of jobs, some terrible, some okay, to this youth minister position, and was that a good gig? Oh, that was a perfect gig because they were flexible and they knew I was in school when they gave me the job. Ah, uh, so you and went so back to school around that time. I went back to school in '09, so okay. I went to the community college here in Waco. I went to MCC in '09, and then I transferred into Tech. In 11. Hmm. And so in 11, that's when I got hired by uh, the church. And so from 11 to 15, so I worked that job through the end of Texas Tech and into grad school, finished grad school. And then before I got my doctor, before I started my doctoral program, I left that job. So, you know, it, it was, it was very supportive and, and, and allowed me to think and allowed me to not have to be somewhere for eight hours a day. Right to collect this money it was like okay you you do what you need to do and then you you have all this other time to do your school stuff and 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 you're allowed to study on the job because studying is part of your job and so it was just it was very it, it was the first time I had that type of autonomy over my schedule where I was like mm-hmm. oh I can get addicted to this I need to make sure I keep this in my life <laughs> and you found a way <laughs> oh yes <laughs> so tell me about like that moment when you decided you needed to go back to school and how you made that happen Oh man. I just remember at the at the at the guidance job, like we made we made decent money. I think I made like twenty six, twenty seven grand as like a twenty one year old kid. Mm-hmm. And they had benefits and they had four oh one K and they they had all the stuff. Mm-hmm. And I could see how somebody could look at that and be like, I'm gonna make this into a career and people do. Yeah. People move up and, and get raises and all that. But I looked at that job and I said, Man, I see how they treat us on the floor 
and I see how the people who work in the in the floors above our floor live and move and breathe. And I just thought, man, there's people on my line that've been working here 20 years and they still next to me on this line. I can't I can't be at a place where after 20 years all I have to show for, I'm doing the same exact thing just for more money mm-hmm. and nobody knows or cares what my worth is. And so like I just knew that that if I could get back to school somehow some way, it was the only thing that had the ability to give somebody like me the benefit of the doubt. Like education is one of those things where it's like you it's it's automatic. I know we live in an age where expertise is kind of like less thought of, but yeah. beyond like it's it's instant credibility if you have it. You, you know, only, you know, 25, 30% of the population finishes undergrad. And those percentages have been since the 60s. Like, that's, that's just, because college is hard. Right. Like, it, it's difficult. Mm-hmm. And if you do it, they, it's something they can't, nobody could ever take it away. Yep. Yep. So you went to MCC, so McLennan Community College, which is the community college here in Waco. So you went yep. there and then transferred to Tech? Yeah. Yeah, I went there and like, I was scared because I was like 28. I think I was 28 going back to school after had dropping out, never took any. I'm like, man, all I've had is is like not so great experiences. I did not have a 4.0 at any point in my life. <laughs> right. So you go back to school and you're like, OK. But the difference was life had been punching me in the face. And I was so thankful to be back in school that you I was that like, context. OK, I'm going to You are I'm ready. Everything. I'm going to do everything I can to, to at least say. I know I put everything I could into these classes and I'm not going to sit around and say, oh, I don't want to go to that lecture. I don't want to do that assignment. I've been not doing that for years mm-hmm. and that has got me nothing. So here I am. Let's let's try to make a go of it. Right. Like you that took was it my seriously. Mindset. Yeah. Yeah. And you start get, you start hitting the dean's list. You start getting invited to Phi Theta Kappa. You're like, oh, mm-hmm. maybe I ain't. Maybe I can do this, you know? Yeah. But you need those couple of victories before you start believing in it. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about paying for it. So we, we, we landed there. <gasps> how did you, how did, did you take on debt? Uh, I took on debt at every part of the process. What about you? Um, undergrad, I came out and you're going to want to just punch me right in the face. I came out with like a thousand dollars in debt and that's it. No, that's good. Yeah. That's, that's what I mean. Dope. Yeah. But it's not what most people are able to do. And the strange thing about it is because we were under the poverty level, I qualified for a ton of needs-based scholarships in the Pell Grant. Oh. And so that covered me. And then I lived with my parents throughout so that I could work and just go to school. So I, I worked um, part-time though, usually. I think like the most I would work was like 34 hours a week. But I was able to do that because I stayed with my family. Now, that's a benefit that a lot of people don't have. So one, I could do that. And two, I chose to do that because, you know, when you're 18, 19 and 20, is that Mm -hmm. where you want to be under kind of, you know, your parents' rules and their expectations? No, not for a lot of people, but, but it allowed me to do it and get through, you know, without debt. So, um, yeah, that worked out. That worked out well. So it was one of those strange things where you're rewarded for being in poverty. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, my, we were in that sweet spot. It's like, yeah, my parents make too much bread to get the full FAFSA or anything like right. that, but not enough to give me any money. Right. So it's like, so you know, many people get caught in that little thing. just caught in that mm-hmm. little thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and I, I felt that pr- I stayed with them for like my first year, mm-hmm. but then I had to go. Like I had, you know, I, I had some carnal living to do that I wasn't willing to do underneath their roof. Like I had too much respect for them to just bring that element into their house. So I was like, I got to get out of here because I got stuff to do. I got some sinning to do. And you know <laughs> what I'm saying? Like, I got some do. serious sinning to do and I can't do that with them in the house. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you, so you, n- neither of us were having the, the, I guess, air quotes college experience because of that. Right. Cause I was young and I did kind of the air quotes traditional, although I, Push back hard. There's no such thing as a traditional student. I think that that's, Ooh. I don't like Ooh. that framing. Because well, then it you, means everyone else is other. Everyone else is different or doesn't fall in line with what the expectation of the norm is. And yeah. so I throw that out. It doesn't matter what age you are, what ability you are, 
how you're paying for it, what your interests are. You're, if you're a student, you're a student. So yeah. now should we adjust and recognize that people who have kids and work full time need classes at different times and different expectations? Absolutely. But to be like, oh, you're a non-traditional student. <laughs> Welcome. Yeah. That's just setting you up to feel like you don't belong from the get go. So I don't, yeah. I don't like that. Yeah. yeah. But so, uh, but according to that, I was air quotes traditional and you were air quotes non-traditional. Yeah. On the way back. Yeah. yeah. But neither of us are having like a uh, typical college experience because you were 28 and you weren't, were you married at that point? Yeah. I got married at 25. Okay. And the thing about the money, like Lizette, she worked for MCC at the time. So I had tuition for free because I was her spouse, oh. but I still took the money. I took every dollar. And, 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 and by way of advice, this is all I'll say about taking the loans out or not taking the loans out. Mm -hmm. If you're not going to finish, don't take out the money. Mm -hmm. If you're at a school where you can max out all your loans and not have any extra, don't take out the money. Mm -hmm. But if you're at a place where you're going to get a lump sum of cash after you've paid them already that you can live on, eat on, better your life on, you ain't going to get a better deal in this world than student loan money. And so as long as you finish, you're going to be in good shape. If you don't finish, they're going to own you for the rest of your life. So you got to understand like what it is you're signing up for. It's not just free Jordan money mm -hmm. if you don't finish because they'll be in your pocket for the rest of all time. Yeah. Yep. And we can, because <laughs> my debt situation, as you know, changed quite a bit in grad school. Um, so we can talk more about that. But I just look at it as a utility payment. It's just there. And I try not to stress about it because otherwise, if I walked around with, oh, I'm 90 grand in debt all the time. It would just, mm -hmm. yeah, it would take you out and it would keep me from living my life if I was working to try to pay it off entirely. I know we'll talk about this next week during the grad episode, mm -hmm. but I don't know anyone, whether they were fully funded or not. I had a fully funded master's program. Mm -hmm. Whether they were fully funded or not, I don't know any master's or PhD person that doesn't have a ton of debt. Yep. Because... The, the, the rigors of those programs mean that you really shouldn't be working. Mm -hmm. And if you're really not working, then that means you need some funding. So either you got rich people mm -hmm. hooking you up, which rich people don't pay for grad school. Like they'll pay for undergrad. Parents ain't paying for grad school. Like that's not a thing, even for rich folks. Like forget that. Mm -hmm. That's on the person who's doing it. Right. And so, you know, th that money just stacks on top of each other. But it's fine if you finish. If you don't finish. Right. Uh. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll talk about we'll talk about grad school. But yeah, that's next week. Yeah. But. Okay, but that's that's interesting advice. So once you're in college, what was your experience when you went back? First time around, you knew you were going to drop out. So it sounds like you weren't ready. You weren't taking, not to say you weren't taking it seriously, but you knew it wasn't No, I wasn't. You. I wasn't taking it serious. I was there for other things. What did you do differently the second time around? The main things I did, I, I promised myself that I would go to every class no matter what. Mm. And that I would turn in everything on time. And let the chips fall. Nice. I was like, I'm going to go to every class and I'm going to turn in everything on time. And whatever happens, happens. And we'll, we'll just start there. And so that's what I did. Mm -hmm. You know, you go to class and you turn stuff in on time. I always sat in the back. You still do that at staff and faculty meetings? I absolutely do. <laughs> just in case the revolution comes, I need to be able to see that and plan for my exit <laughs> slash escape. If you're trying to live, follow me. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay. So there's some... Uh, strategy <laughs> no there's some strategy behind what you're doing <laughs> yeah when i and when i first started like i was still at the horrible emsi and so uh all my classes were on two days a week mm -hmm. so i would just go back to back to back to back to back two days a week and mm -hmm. then be at emsi the other five days or the other four or five days out of the week yeah. plus a night you know and just you just piece it together but it's like school is something that you have to make personal and school is something that mm -hmm. you have to set you, you have to set your own goals. You can't look at any assignment as on its face as just an assignment. You got to come in saying, I'm here to do this thing. And this thing is, 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 is however many years away in the future, but all these little pieces are going to add up to that thing one day. Mm -hmm. And so when I came in, I was like, I'm going to finish and I'm going to go to Region 12 and get my alt cert certificate and I'm going to teach history and coach football. That was what I was going to do. And I was like, okay, this everything in the path of this is just to get me right. to that point. So it wasn't about, oh, I like this professor, oh, I don't. Mm -hmm. It was like, I got stuff to do and y'all are in my way. Like, yeah. that's how I approached it. So you weren't like, this This experience needs to be perfect. You just needed to get through it. 
No, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I, I, it was already perfect because I got to come back. I mean, so many people mm. who drop out never get to come back. Yeah. And so I was so thankful that I got to come back and that it was making sense and I could see a, a, a end in sight that I was like, man, this is, this is, this is what I have to do. When did you realize you were smart in school? When did I realize I was smart in school? I took, when I started getting A's in things that I, I never thought were my subjects. Mm, so like when yeah. I take stats and I get an A or I take biology and I get an A, environmental science, I get, I, and I'm like, oh, okay. So it doesn't matter what the subject is. I can learn this stuff and know it well enough to perform. Mm-hmm. Not just the stuff I like, not just the public speaking stuff, not just the history stuff, not just the, the the psychology stuff. No, 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 The stuff that like, I'm looking at this like, this is dumb. I don't even, this is not my bag. But it's like, just because it ain't your bag don't mean you have an excuse to do bad in it. Mm. Like yeah. you, you should still put your best foot forward and whatever happens, happens, whether it's your thing or not. Right, right. Did you have people that, became mentors or kind of encouraged you in undergrad? Yes. Yes. So, and it's funny because we work in this place. And so a lot of them I had as, as professors. And so. Oh, like Jenna. Yeah. So I met Jenna, I met Jenna at tech, but at MC, before I, I didn't meet, I didn't meet Jenna when I was at MCC. So I had like, I had uh, Dr. Susan Spooner for psychology. She was, she was instrumental uh, in just my development and like talking me through, like not feeling so bad that, cause I would always say, Oh, I wasted like six, seven years of my life. And she was like, Anthony, if you wouldn't have went through that, you wouldn't have the drive that you have now. Like exactly. it's all yeah. progressive. Like it's all building on itself. And so she you wrapped realize, up in that timeline thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm behind. I got to figure mm-hmm. out a way to catch up. How do I do that? She was, she was just shoving all that to the side. Like, no, you're here now. And this is what matters. So that was big. And she even talked to Lizette about how to chart her path through grad school and 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 what she needed to do. And and so she was instrumental. I had an English professor named uh, Dr. Stephen Swanson. Uh, he's still there. He's he's very yeah. difficult. He has high expectations, but he he taught me how to write. Like yeah. some of the stuff he taught me, I still I still use that stuff. He cares. He does care. Mm-hmm. He's misunderstood. He does care. I completely agree um, with bo- every with both those statements. Mm-hmm. He's he has expectations because he cares. Think that he's like mean or tough or something, and I I don't think that that's true. No, no, never once did I ever ask to meet that man, and he be made me feel like I was being too much or mm-hmm. or bothering him. Mm-hmm. Like never, ever, never. So yeah, you know yeah. Uh, who else? Uh, Andy Ramon stands out oh, she, yeah. for, for Texas government. I had her. She was smooth. Um, Elaine, Elaine Fagner for uh, environmental science. Another hard class, super hard class. And when you talk about like when I knew she had this thing where you could be exempt from the final if you had like a, a 92 average in her class. And at the end of the class on finals day, she's calling up all the people who are exempt. There was only like three of them. And when she called my name and I got up from the back, all the people was looking at me like, how in the hell? Like, he he's exempt. You got that right. I'm out of here. <laughs> so, like, how was UTEP, though? Uh, like- it's a great school. It is truly a great school. So, in terms of thinking that I just settled for something because it was there, which I did think at first, that I could not have been more wrong. I mean, some of the best professors of my life and even though I went to UT Austin later for grad school in two different programs, UTEP's got to beat. They just care. And I majored in communication, as as you know now. Whoop. Yep. <laughs> so print media, technically, but it was... That's a, still us. That's still Yeah, us. no, it was in the <laughs> College of Communication, and it was a journalism degree. But because it was kind of a humanities degree, I took a lot of communication studies classes with it. Because you had, like, your core... You have to take like these four journalism classes. I, I'm making that up. I have no idea what the degree plan is anymore. <laughs> that was a while ago. Um, but then, I, but I love taking communication studies classes. And then my minor was in political science. Um, and so the three professors that will never forget their names. Number number one is Dr. Richard Pineda. He called me out as being smart. He does this thing to mess with his students. He teaches the big, big intro to communication studies course Mm -hmm. and that has like 300 people in it 
and he'll like walk up to you and be like, "Hey, Rebecca Larson, how are you?" Oh, and then just walk oh. away, and you're like, "What? How? How does he know In my large name?" Lecture? Uh, yeah. So before, or like you're at the vending machine before, and he walks up and he's like, "How you doing? Good paper." And walks off, and you're like, "Look!" So he loves just kind of messing with people like that. He's really funny. But in that massive 300 plus large lecture, he makes you feel seen, which is just I have no idea how I would do that if I was in that position now as an instructor. He called out the people who made like 95s and above on the first exam. And there were very few names, and I was on that list. And people were mm-hmm. looking at me like, oh, oh. And he, like, made yeah, us. be in my group? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Things like that. Um, and then I took multiple classes with him, if I could. And he, I just liked him. And he was a great, great professor. And he cared. And he was funny. He had, like, a playlist when you walked in. He was playing music for that week. Just a cool dude. Stuff that if I feel like I tried, I couldn't because I'm not even an eighth of as cool as he is. But he didn't try. He and he wears bow ties every day. Mm. Yeah, he's just he's he's got it lo- on lock. Um, but he was super super honest about how he felt inferior half the time. Like one day he was going to be found out as a fraud, and everyone's going to realize right, he didn't yeah. belong there. And he yeah. was just really really honest about that. Didn't pretend he was perfect and had it all together to help us realize that it's okay. If we feel like we're, we don't belong there sometimes because we do because everybody does and everybody feels those things. And he very specifically reached out to me and recommended me for different internship programs. And that's why I ended up going to D.C. just because of him. Like they wow. were looking for someone because nobody from UTEP had applied and he recommended me. And they were like, all right, if she can get the app in, in two days, we'll do an interview with her. And so I just rushed. She wrote me a letter of recommendation on a moment's notice And that's why I went to that program that very fundamentally changed my life. I met Ben there. So in that instance, but it was, you know, you're in the Capitol, the Supreme Court, we live behind the Supreme Court, just completely took sort of the blinders off my eyes to realize how much more the world was and had to offer and Mm -hmm. what I could do in it. So in terms of like job prospects and what I could do and what I was capable of, just blew open the world of possibilities for me and it was literally because he was like call rebecca oh i love it yeah so i mean i love that yeah no so like (laughs) professors can really change the course of students lives and and he did that without a doubt for me the other two that um are just great professors he was the most hands-on stacy sowards also within um, communication studies fantastic professor also very open and honest and then irisima coronado she was, again, like big lecture hall where you don't expect to um, get into a professor. My government class, my first government class was with her. And uh, she's spicy and like really passionate about what she does. Kind of like an Andy Ramone, you oh, know, uh-huh. just, just yep. like ready to go for it. I mean, they're very, very different, but just like that kind of essence. And I was the person that was helping all my friends pass that class. Like I would study with them. I'm like, guys, this isn't hard. Okay. There's just... How many senators are there? Come on, you can do this. There are three branches of government. Come on, this is cool. And I just love the whole structure of government. So had no idea that that would be kind of a launching point where I would one day eventually be teaching political science. But hey, here can, we are. Can I, can I ask you to dispel some things, given that you went to UTEP, mm-hmm. uh, to, to the people who have only driven through El Paso or seen Sicario and think that it's like oh my gosh. an unsafe place? Could you just speak to the fact that it's one of the safest places in the country? It is. It is always on the list of top five safest cities. And when you start looking at per capita and things like that, it's regularly number one safest city. Hollywood likes to sell movies, so they like to sell the idea that, you know, there are like drug cartels murdering people everywhere. The the two t- uh, violent crimes I've experienced in my life happened in Austin and Waco. Not a single thing happened to me when I was in El Paso. Not once. Mm. And I wasn't smart. I wasn't being smart. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, that wasn't because of my own doing, because I was like holed up somewhere. Like I put myself in some stupid positions and I was always safe there. So, yeah, it bothers me. You'll also notice that... Um, there's a show called The Bridge. I don't know if you ever yeah, heard watched that, that one. Yeah, I watched that. Okay. So everyone on the El Paso side is white and talks like this. And then everyone on the Juarez <laughs> side is brown and has a thick Spanish accent um, or a Mexican accent. And, and that's just not, that's not how the borders don't respect culture. 
right? Mm-hmm. Like just because you put a line through there, El Paso used to be Mexico, right? The border changed right. out the people. So it's 90% Hispanic and 90% mm-hmm. Mexican American. Everyone sounds like each other. It's just, so it's funny to me. It's like laughably funny to that anybody would think because there's a line here, because there's a bridge that the white people are here and the brown people are back here. Like that's not how, that's not how anything works. So, but it's a beautiful city, delicious food. The campus Mm -hmm. is literally built into a mountain. It's gorgeous. Oh yeah. Super beautiful. Really cool Spanish style architecture with like red uh, tile roofs everywhere. Like it's, it's a beautiful campus. It's one of the prettiest campuses I think. And has phenomenal people doing research, teaching classes as though that was their only job almost. So yeah, I co-sign El Paso big time. Right on. Yeah. 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 Cause I know, you know, it doesn't have the best rap, so to speak. You know how I feel when people start disparaging El Paso. <laughs> I do. I get I on do. a, I get on a high horse, but it's a beautiful city. If it wasn't so far away from my all my other family, I would love to live there. Mm-hmm. I really would. Um, I think it's a great place to to live, to have a family, to have a career. It's just, you know, it's really West Texas. And so my family, it would just take me away from my parents and my sisters and my brother. So, yeah. Yeah, like there's a big army base in El Paso. Mm-hmm. And my auntie was in the army for, she, she spent 25 years in the army. And so we would visit her on our way to Waco when we would drive in, you know, and it's just like, I, I remember El Paso as a child this way, like when it takes, it takes around 26, 27 hours to drive from San Diego to Waco. Mm-hmm. And 14 of those hours are just getting through the middle of Texas. Cause once you, you you'll oh go gosh, through Arizona, New Mexico, you'll hit El Paso and it, you'll see a sign be like Dallas, 835 miles. You'll be like, ah, <laughs> <laughs> I know. 835 miles. <laughs> One of my favorite things is when someone's like, hey, I'm coming to Texas. We should meet up. I'm like, cool, you're literally 18 hours away from me. <laughs> right. <laughs> we may have been closer before you came to Texas. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big state, man. It's a, it's a big huge state. state. Yeah. When we say we're in Central Texas, we mean that we're in mm-hmm. Central Texas. Right it's in the 14 middle. hours to get out of Texas. That's <laughs> why so we don't go anywhere very often. It's so hard to leave. For real. <laughs> takes so long. Oh, that's really funny. Oh. Do you have advice um, for getting through? So it sounds like one of the things you would probably tell people is just show up and turn everything in to the best of your ability. Do you have other pieces of advice that you feel like you learned from undergrad? Yeah, I, th- I think you should walk into every class attempting to to forge some type of relationship with the professor. Like if you're if you're in a class with a TA, that's fine. Okay, you got the TA, all right. But if you're there with a with a professor, straight up and down, and and you can make find a way to get them to know you and and understand your story and to take an interest, mm-hmm. do that because. It's college is not adversarial. Everybody's an adult. Uh, it's not. High, it's not like high school where it's us and them. It's more collaborative than that. And you, there's there's opportunities beyond the grade in the class. There's opportunities beyond your transcript. But but you have to seek those out, and you won't even know what they are unless you're plugging into those resources. And 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 the faculty and staff on a campus know about those resources more than you. And so the best way to get familiar is to ingratiate yourselves with the people that have been there for years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things I would say is don't remove yourself from opportunities because you don't think you can because mm. of finances or family or your job, truly fully look into them before you decide that you're not able to access that. I removed myself from so many opportunities because I was like, oh, I can't afford that. Nope, my family, uh-huh. my family's not able to help me out with that. It wouldn't even be fair for me to ask them. I won't do that. And so that's why it was so life-changing that I went to D.C. because I never would have done that on my own. Had I even seen the application, I would have been like, oh, no, I can't afford that. I won't go. I can't, like a plane ticket? No. Nope. <laughs> right. nope, 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 nope. 
but it turns out that you can, if you spend a bunch of time applying for travel scholarships, you can get funding for those things. Mm -hmm. So go to the information sessions, see what might be available to you. A lot of study abroad is cost prohibitive, prohibitive, (laughs) but if you, if there are scholarships, if there's funding within the department for you, ask those questions because maybe you're just assuming you can't and there are resources that could get you there. I feel like there's always money around. But you have to you, ask for it. If you know it. how to ask for mm-hmm. it, yeah. And you start talking about study abroad cost prohibitive. It's like, yeah, you might leave after five weeks with six credit hours, mm-hmm. which is, you know, what? Yeah. 32 weeks thirty two weeks of your life that you got in five weeks. Exactly. You know, so Absolutely. That, that, you got to think about that too. For sure. And and they're not all created equal. So yeah, do your research, but but do it. Don't just assume that it doesn't work for you. And then what you're saying, ask for help. Ask for help with funding opportunities from your professors, get to know them. Like the vast majority of us want to advocate for our students and help them and get them to where they want to go. There are the jerks out there. There are the people that aren't going to be in your corner. Of course, we've had them as colleagues and as professors, right? Like we get it, but the vast majority of folks aren't like that. And, And no one does anything alone. So the idea that you just show up you don't need friends. You don't need to join right. groups. You right, don't no. need your professors to take an interest in you. You just need to get through. Can One, it sucks the joy out of it, which sucks because school might not be for you, but try to find the things that work for you. Even if you're short on time, like just go to a couple things. You have time to do something that is, you know, that can connect you with your friends or and can make you friends, but can connect you with your classmates. So especially on a commuter campus. So UTEP was a commuter campus, very little housing, only for student athletes. The school we teach at now, definitely commuter. There, there isn't student housing. And right. so you kind of have to work hard at making friends. So just, just show up from time to time. Not everything. I get it. But just show up to some stuff. All right, Rebecca. What about when it was over it's over you know you're graduating the registrar said so Mm -hmm. and then it's that that moment of (laughs) what now what what (laughs) okay i did that i'm really good at this school thing but now what and we got people facing that because it's may people are about to graduate and, and so what do you think the first thing i would say is don't buy into what I think of as a myth that there's a real world and a university world. You've been living in the real world your entire life. So the skills you got from college, you probably were working through college anyways, can transfer you into a more career focused job. So I push back on the like, okay, now you're in the real world. You've always been paying your rent and buying your groceries and having to make it through. So Mm -hmm. you shouldn't feel like this impending sense of doom of what now, because you can always change. So just like a major, it doesn't really dictate that much to you. But I had the good fortune of graduating in 2008. Oh, fun. So that fun market crash. So it's not as dire as it is right now, right? And hopefully that was prolonged, but not as severe. This is severe, but hopefully, hopefully, hopefully we can't say for sure, not as prolonged. So I I don't know. So when you're applying to jobs at a time of economic peril, you have to widen your net. You have to apply for broad, not things that you will hate, but a lot of times we think I'm going to be this this one thing, and you just have to open it up. So I was coming out with a journalism degree. I knew I didn't want to be a journalist because when I was taking my journalism classes, I hated getting in people's faces and talking about them and be like, tell me about your trauma, right? I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. It wasn't for me. I was bad at it and I wouldn't get the quote because I'm like, I can't, I cannot ask them to tell me about this right now. This doesn't feel right. So I would have been really a terrible journalist. But I had a communication degree and I knew I wanted to use those types of skills. And I was like, I'll work for nonprofits. I'll do this. I'll do that. So once I realized, okay, I just need to be open and get a job that uses communication skills. Then I applied to all sorts of stuff and I landed at a communication consulting firm. But it's because it was my 
cousin's husband worked there and he was like we really need someone to just come in for like a week or two and edit all this stuff for us for one project and I showed up and I finished it in like a day and he was like oh you're done okay cool this could maybe work out can we give you some more stuff since you're going to be here for a couple weeks and I was like absolutely and then I ended up getting hired on because of that so it's who you know and don't be ashamed of using that. It doesn't mean that you right. didn't get that job. I mm-hmm. only got that job because my cousin's husband was the boss, right? And that maybe feels uncomfortable to some people, but you got to use what you have and not... Yeah, and it ain't got nothing to do with keeping the job. They can get you the job, but you have to keep it. Right, exactly. So use those things. Ask people for help. Again, no one does anything alone, so... Just be open and and ask. I do have a resource that I give to my students that's called WTF, do I do with this degree? Um, (laughs) For those that aren't going to go to grad school, because that's kind of a separate thing, um, and are like, okay, where do I even begin to look for jobs? And I can post that. If I can figure out how to do it, I will post that in the episode notes because I think it's- we got notes now. We got notes now. We're so fancy. I think it's pretty universal. Some of it's a little Texas specific, but it's pretty universal in terms of thinking about the places you can get jobs, like federal government, state government, city, county, nonprofits, private sector, and then knowing where to go, all the different resources and places you can look to kind of get yourself out there. So I'm happy to share that if I can figure it out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Up and down. Advice Um, for those that are graduating. I think the thing I come back to most often and, it, and it's piggybacking on what you said about people believing that they were trained to do this one thing. I have this degree, and so I'm going to do this one thing. Yeah. And you really got to reframe what college is. College is not training you to get a job. That is a myth. That is a lie that the that the outside wants to put into college. That's not that's not what we're doing. What you're doing when you go to college, specifically undergrad, is you're proving that you can do something very difficult that took a long time to do. And, and it shows that you have perseverance and it shows that you're willing to learn a bunch of different things and be able to synthesize some information. And so those skills are universal. Those skills are not degree dependent. And I don't care if you're an engineer or not. Lockheed Martin did mm. not hire you because of your degree. They hired you because now you have a schema for what they're going to train you to do anyway. So nobody yeah. is being completely unleashed onto the world as a fully formed engineer or anything they're going to train you to do the job mm-hmm. you just need the language and, and and the framework to understand their training once you get there yeah and so what i would say in this environment is no job is permanent mm. and all jobs are good and so it might not be your first priority but your first priority is to show that you're willing to work and nothing you're not going to duplicate your parents lifestyle inside of 18 months fresh out of college it took them however many years they've been together to to create that and you don't have the right to think that you deserve that because you don't nobody none of us do it everybody builds on those things even once you have the degrees all it means is that you're competing for for positions with people of similar levels of education it does not guarantee employment it, it just doesn't and so the, the those things of, of just proving that you have that work ethic mm-hmm. and, and are willing to work yeah th- that, that's going to carry the day and i would say too the days of staying in one job for 40 years are over it's over so don't worry about your resume looking like you can't commit if you're miserable somewhere now get another job before you quit would be my please advice do. Please, please do please do that but don't be afraid to, Michelle Obama calls it the swerve. If you're like, this career isn't for me, don't stay there because you thought that's what you wanted. If you're miserable, just go get another job until you find one that you're not miserable in. And don't yeah. get so wrapped up in what your resume looks like. Who cares what that piece of paper looks like if you're miserable within the lines of it? Yeah. Go find a job that works for you, that feels like a career. And it might take you a while to find that passion. And that's okay. You don't have to know for sure. And it's just as beneficial to mark things off the list that you don't want to do as it is to find the thing that you do want. Yes. And the highest monetary offer does not always mm. mean it's the best job. 
Yeah, and that's a tough yeah. one, especially when I know you it's hard, need to make those. <laughs> but yeah, it's no, not always it. true. You know, the, the, the more money they make, the more expectations that come with that money. And, and, and so you got to think about that stuff, too. I asked a couple people on social media. I don't have the largest network, but I asked some folks to share what their advice was for undergrad. And so I'll just read a few of them. I won't go through all of them, but particularly the ones that don't reiterate what we've already said. Um, but Justin Pettis says, join student orgs and get involved. Building a network is everything. Mm-hmm. So that's a big one. Um, Yvette says, believe that your perspective is important and valuable. Don't doubt your voice. Oh, I dig that. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. And then look at small liberal art. This is from Deshana. Look at small liberal arts schools. It's harder to get lost in the cycle. Man, I hope they make it. Me too. Me too. I hope those slacks make it. Yeah. It's about to be rough out there in the game, coach. Yeah. And then a couple from Facebook. Let's see. Get involved and participate in study abroad. Um, the importance of internships and volunteerism. Yes. Jade Doss, former student of mine, said this because she was talking about wanting to hire people all the time and they've got a stellar GPA, but they don't have any experience. Mm-hmm. So even if you're really busy and you can't possibly take an unpaid internship, which we'll get into that another day unpaid internship shouldn't be a thing um (laughs) but you can volunteer you can put things on your resume to show that you have some experience because they want to hire people but they need something um other than just i've never worked right exactly um we've got stuff about finding what they want before and then kind of working toward that what's your dream job and then kind of working backwards from that Mm -hmm. yeah yeah yeah, so, and then some of this, the, the rest of it looks like stuff for grad school, so we can cover that later. I don't have to do it all, but thanks for sharing your yes, expertise. It's so good. Absolutely. Ooh, one more. Chelsea Brass said, I knew nothing in my advising the whole time was inadequate. I had to advocate Ooh. for myself in the community college as my first experience with an advisor. And the, fir- the person said, obviously, you are someone who feels that they can cut corners because she didn't know how the system oh, worked. On. Yeah, so I forget how important both good and bad advising is in terms of yes. impacting your trajectory from the high school counselor to ours. And we have, I mean, she's my friend, right? Sydney Cox is a good friend of mine. But we really have yeah. phenomenal advisors at we Texas do. Tech, like we truly do. care, spend lots and lots of time making things work for students. And so I forget about these experiences. I also had a similar experience in my undergrad where I saw that man maybe twice. Oh, wow. The whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I had great advising experiences. I had great advising. So that's huge. And if you can advocate to find someone that works for you and stick with them to the best of your ability, that's great. And if not, then get your professors to help fill in the blanks for you or anyone else, right? Indeed. I mean, we could probably do this for another two hours. It went quick. All right, Rebecca, what's the quote of the week? Same as it ever was. I dig it. (laughs) This has been This Is For The CV. Thanks for listening, Mom. The music composed for this podcast is performed by Lisa Black. Thanks, man.